that uh, Bible study, we're going to continue in uh, the question of the seven Noahite laws. And uh, we got down to the subject of uh, sex. God created every living thing with a sex drive. Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Flowers and all plants sprout, grow. The sap rises to the point that they bloom, blossom, pollinate, spill their seed to procreate. The fowl of the heaven, the fish of the sea, everything that creeps on the earth, from tiny germs to mammoth whales and elephants, all have sex drive, each after its own kind. Sexual appetite is the strongest stimulus driving all creation. And this man and woman are no different. At the age called adolescence, the chemical sap rises and children blossom and bloom into puberty, teen and adulthood. We are all a mobile, organic, chemical laboratory is producing a dominance of estrogen in a woman and androgen in a man. These two compounds have a very high affinity for each other. The balance of the ions of the estrogen and androgen in the human body has radiation of elective affinity for one another. Some call this animal magnetism. In reality, the bars of our ribs house an entire zoo full of beastly desires. Be careful not to let, leave the cage open, lest these savage beastly desires get out of control and hurt you or someone else. Organized religious leaders sometimes have a tendency to want to exercise mind control over their people under their influence. The most powerful tool to keep people under their domination is to keep them under the mode of guilt or guilt complex of sin. Guilt for illicit sex act even guilt for a legitimate sex life is most used advice to manipulate their congregations into total mind control. Even more precarious is a clergy's effort to put guilt complex on people because they have normal uh, desires when there is no sex involved in any matter. Guilt complex is guilt when there is no reason or need for guilt. Sexual desire is not sin. Sex is not sin unless it violates the written moral code and social ethics of the Noahite laws.
in summary, illicit sex, if a man is a product of natural survival and the survival of the fittest in this evolutionary process, then there is no God and Creator. If there is no God, then nothing matters what mankind does. There is no moral code and so, uh, system of social justice. A man and woman can practice bestiality in the open public and not, would not be anyone's business. Although without being enticed and trained by a human to do so, animals do not initiate such activity. A brute animal by instinct in a sense, is a higher moral values than a car carnal, godless human. Now we come to laws against lawlessness. Learn to do well. Seek justice. Relieve the oppressed. Judge the fatherless. And plead for the widows. Where is justice? Not that the prophets did not know. Oppression and injustice deny God whose very holy name is justice, is most evident when we live among ourselves. According to God's commandment, the human race stand up for him on the whole earth where he put us to establish laws to fight for him against injustice. This is a negative commandment, even though it states to establish laws of justice does not seem to be a negative. It seems to be a positive commandment. However, when we get into the details, we find that all the commandments uh, are against uh, judges, officers, police, that do not carry out this obligation. God hates injustice. So we should, so all of, uh, of us, man is divinely obligated to act against it as a matter of the universal laws. How do we oppose injustice? The answer is by setting up a system of laws police, courts, and refusing to passively accept <clears throat> as a fixture of social life. Anarchy is not the path of justice. People must live by civil laws. We notice that Moses established Israel's uh, system of courts, police, judges, before the people ever got to Mount Sinai. And why did he do that? 
because Jethro advised him to do it. His father-in-law, Jethro, and uh, in Amos chapter 5 and verse 24 it says that justice rise up as waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. Man has no right to leave judgment up to heaven. It said, I created the smith that bloweth the coals. I, I wrought the weapon of his work. No weapon that is formed against of thee shall prosper. And in judgment thou shalt condemn every mouth that is against thee. That is that judgment has to begin with us. And if we pursue justice, then God will... Uh, support our judgment but we have to first perform judgment before we can appeal to God to intervene Judge, judges each man and woman individually we remember the statement no man is an island entirely to himself God created Israel as a unique instrument to pro promote charity and judgment in the world. The Torah doesn't just speak about the Jews or to the Jews, but rather all men are responsible for one another. That's why this comes under the seven Noahide laws, because they are uh, universal. They are applicable to the Jew and the un-Jew alike. Human beings, are social, human beings are social beings. Everyone belongs to someone, to some society, nation, state, or culture. So God also judges people collectively in, this, in, in our respective nations, we and our generations. In the Rabbi Barchai ben Asher said, "If there is no justice, there is no peace." And this is something we hear from the Arabs all the time. The Arabs cry uh, justice in the Middle East, and what they mean is just us and no Jews. That's their meaning of justice, just us and no Jews. Injustice is the negation of religion because the problem is a social one. The third universal law addresses people both as individuals and on a collective level. God requires each of us to pursue justice in his everyday relations with other creatures and act just and upright matter personally. The Hebrew Revolution's most basic general rule of conduct 
is the golden rule. What is hateful to you, do not do to others. We find that Jesus put this in a positive frame when he says, whatsoever that you would do, uh, whatsoever you, that you would that men do unto do, the doing to them also where the it's in the negative to fail to conduct uh, to fail to act when time comes to act to take a decent public stand against injustice is both hateful and a crime in the Noahite laws in fact it carries a possibility of capital punishment because God of justice also commands that men pursue justice collectively as social beings, as responsible members of our society. Mystics associate the commandment with dark brown or the deep red in the rainbow. That is, at the initial band of color, the foundation. In other words, it seems as though the point of departure from underpinning all the other colors and commandments, in a sense, in this reality underlying the whole social structure. Oppression and injustice deny God. Law and order is fundamental in the stability of making a making the civilized possible. Laws must be just. Order must be oppressive. At minimum, every nation is divinely obligated to establish an efficient system of uh, institution of justice uh, uh, to justly enforce the terms of the universal commandment. They render the decision found on the seven universal laws and teach and admonish people concerning the law's observance. Beyond this minimal obligation, some commentators argue that the commandment here to live by civil laws obligates the nations to extend the principle of justice. That is, man must bring law and order into every area of life where there is an absence of law, might work, and injustice. So besides just merely enforcing the universal laws against larceny, murder, and so on, the Noahite authorities are divinely obligated to create and administer suitable, substantial laws of government dealing with things like street traffic, conduct of corporations, world trade, and administrative agencies. All of these come under the scope of establishing a system of justice. This is a wise and logical opinion. Whenever a situation of law lawless might give rise to anarchy, 
the oppression of the weak by the strong. Mankind is obligated to impose a just order in his place. Deuteronomy verse 16 and verse 20. Justice, justice thou sh you shall pursue. Zedek, Zedek, Tarduf. God commands those who default from their responsibility under this commandment. The challenge is terrific and never-ending. We are the Lord's agents, his stewards in the world. He created us with almost godlike capacities and qualities, including the ability to make judgments. He commanded our species to use that ability to judge honestly and precisely to discover the truth and decide the issues that rise among us justly. God judges in heaven. Humans serve him. The father of justice after witnesses as witnesses we judge the earth. I would like to cite a passage in Isaiah chapter 59 in verse 14 it reads justice is turned away backwards justice standeth afar off because truth has fallen in the street and equity cannot enter this is a very strong statement judgment is turned away backward justice stands afar off for truth is fallen in the street and equity cannot enter so we must uh, what is truth Torah is truth and by that we judge uh, and give the outline of the laws of justice. God condemns those who default in this responsibility under this commandment. And uh, in the book of Genesis illustrates a principle. Long before Sinai, the people of Shechem, a town known today as Nablus, failed to prosecute the rape and kidnapping of Dina, Jacob's daughter. Israel's sons, quite rightly, put a permanent end, a capital end, to the lawless, savage Shem. They killed every man alive. Question is, were they too cruel? bloody as it was, it teaches us about the Noahite law. Each of us as an individual member of society has a public responsibility. Each man shares his own society's obligation under this commandment. So we see that the values associated with the United States Constitution the rule of law 
and equal protection under the law aren't just American national idea but an absolute fundamental divine universal law based on the seven laws of Noah in Exodus chapter 12 and verse 49 one law shall be for the native and for the stranger who dwells among you you can't have one set of laws for the for the natives and another set of laws for the strangers due process is fundamentally fundamental despite of apparent absence in Shechem procedures must be fair and careful courts shall judge the people in just judgment they shall justify the righteous this is the innocent and condemn the wicked as they are as they are guilty a court must render justice with complete impartiality to all that come before it whether they are rich or poor male or female strangers or natives sinners or saints every ca case matters a judge shall judge a dispute involving a penny as meticulously as one involving a great fortune so we, we see that the uh, judicial system levels everything and uh in, in Exodus chapter 21-24 eye for eye tooth for tooth hand for hand foot for foot the guiding principle of human courts is one that of strict proportionality eye for an eye tooth for a tooth with neither respect nor favor for any person the power or the status of any one who comes before it not mutilation in uh, personal retaliation but justice which must be impaired in fairly measure eye for an eye not two eyes for one tooth for a tooth not just one tooth for a mouthful whatever court addresses a wrong in the damages and penalties it imposes the responsibility to the wrong and to the injury so resulting <coughs> as precisely as possible punishment must fit the crime in a civil non-criminal case he who injures another must restore him to the condition before his injury he who damages another's property property must compensate him according to the person's loss in the Talmud it says the law of the state is the law the law of the state is the law <clears throat> for an example 
polygamy, having more than one wife, is permitted in the Bible for Noahites, but it is illegal according to U.S. laws. Therefore, Noahites must submit to the law of the state. As the Talmud said, the law of the state it is the law. While men and women ultimately share the blame as well as the credit for the way of society functions, we see from the incident of Shechem or Shechem that the obligation of the men and women under this commandment were not identical. The men of Shechem were killed for failing to live up to their responsibilities. The women, having different responsibilities, and of course the children as well, were not killed by the uh, in Shechem. Women are not divinely obligated to involve themselves directly in society's lawmaking or in law enforcement. But in the U.S., a woman can be both a lawmaker and in law enforcement. Perhaps as a part of the affirmative action plan designed, described earlier, divine law reserves most civic and religious leadership functions in Israel to that of the men of Israel. A Jewish man should, if he is able, occupy the greater part of his time in study and teaching, legal uh, deliberation and government, along with the spiritual devotion. So God gives Israel's men a, an affirmative, gender-specific commandment in these affairs for the ultimate benefit of both genders. The Torah defines a different role for women. While men sit with the elders embroiled in questions of law and politics, <clears throat> women aren't required to do so themselves. That goes without saying that a wise man will avail himself of a woman's counselor and her insight. But God never commands women who should lead both uh, men modestly and in gentleness to participate in public life that might bring hardness or immodesty. Heaven leaves them free to wash their hands in innocence. And here again we find exceptions. For example, what is considered one of the greatest prime ministers of, of Israel was Golda Meir. And there are women who are members of the Knesset. That does not say that God bars women from actually involving themselves in the matter of civic justice. Nothing in the Noahite laws permit women from taking any office or serving any function in any Noahite court or government. Still, in a world where leaders 
led by charisma and example where women will accept the uh, a fatherly leader but the men can't or will or will not devotedly accept women as her models. Strong civic leadership and woman's leadership could be problematic. As I pointed out, both in the United States and Israel, women are lawmakers and officers of the law. Women are judges. In all events, whether a police witnesses in court or judges, the very highest minister of the government, women must, of course, act in a righteous, in righteousness requires. If a woman can give evidence in a court case, for instance, she must do so if asked. She witnesses a crime, she must report it. The same as a man. When society organizes itself to impose the same basic public duties on women as men, the woman who defaults from her responsibility is the same as a man who defaults from his. Men dominate institutions of government and justice, fairness, that is, injustice requires them to accommodate a woman's special vulnerabilities if any of her family-centered needs. In a court of justice, for instance, it should protect the shy, modest woman to make an ordeal of public involvement less of an ordeal. This is so that even the risk of appearing partial to women, after all, only gentlemen honor women. Only dishonorable men treat women dishonorably. One should never betray a woman's honor. Come now to the law of the state in the realm of religious ritual. Whatever it intentions, the state has no right to compel a person to sacrifice his moral integrity. God gives no court the power to force his creatures to do wrong. This applies both in the realm of moral secular obligation. The state may not compel its uh, citizens to be subject to commit murder, for instance, to violate any of the commandments. In these matters, religious right and symbolism. Neither the state nor the individual has any right to create any new religion. That's one of the underlining statements in the United States of America that 
the state will not support or identify itself with any religion. Less than, uh, still less, a state compels its citizens and subjects to follow a new or false religion. Laws enacted man-made religious observance and other laws conflicting with God laws directly discouraging the observance of the illegitimate. This nation has a freedom of religion, not a freedom from religion. And uh, one of the misnomers that we hear so many times is the Constitution demands separation of church and state. That is not true. The Constitution says that the state will not establish any religion. It does not say uh, it's freedom of religion and not freedom from religion. It's amazing how the atheists have been able to swing such an influence in this country. 86% of the people in this country declare they believe in God. And how can 14% of the people override? Example of that, their effort to take the uh, statement, one nation under God, out of the Pledge of Allegiance. When I was in the first grade, and we learned the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag. It was one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Now, what's indivisible? When this nation was established, it was possible for a state to withdraw from the Union that was until the Civil War. But when it says one nation under God, indivisible, it's talking about God being indivisible, not the state. The state may not misuse its power to establish a false religion, neither may it compel people to follow the true religion. God gave man a free will, and man's law cannot reverse that gift. A sin that does not directly threaten good in order in the, the society or the rule of moral law should <coughs> just for <coughs> utilitarian reasons be the business of the police. Human transgression against other humans or even under lesser beings are proper sub subject of a court action. Human transgressions against God alone are best handled by God. No high courts need not address them. Certain types of cases 
they cannot be informally involved, but simply pass on for divine judgment. When it comes to the matters of mere religious ritual doctrine, as opposed to the world injures and afflicting on God's creatures, the proper role of court as a Noahide state is to lead such matters in heaven in, in heaven's courts. Next we come to the question of compromise. What does the Lord require of you? Do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. Micah 6, verse 8. If every person feared God and loved him, if the impulses of the conscience were clear, uniform, and irresistibly obeyed, and if human uh, memories were perfect, and every promise made became a promise kept, the society would not have a need for courts. The problem is, that's not the case. Unredeemed humanity does need courts, but that doesn't mean that the courts must decide every controversy. Ideally, people should be able to settle their differences out of court peaceably among themselves. This is ideal. It saves the expense of a lawyer and it saves the expense, public expense of, of uh, <clears throat> the judicial system. Rabbi Hanina said, pray for the well-being of the state, for if it weren't for men's fear of it, they would devour each other alive. Evil, in civil and non-criminal cases, compromise can often be referred to legal judgment. The first compromise promotes peace. The second judgment promotes truth. The world depends on a balance of peace and judgment. Should a person suffer wrong, he need not always seek revenge it, uh, to avenge it through the strictest application of law. Whether one must do that which is right in the sight of the Lord, practicing forgiveness, lenience, and compassion. People have a right to rely on the strictest letter of the law. Society cannot refuse to grant its members full benefit of their protection of the law. But one may always forsake a personal privilege. God loves those who walk in the way of God, keeping the path of righteousness. The Father of righteousness cherishes a forbearing person. 
who rather than pressing for legal right and entitlement, chooses to follow the law of the saints instead. Sometimes law must take its course. Justice must cut through the mountain to condemn the wrongs and vindicate the rights. But courts cannot help the, the litigants effective compromise and the court, court does not deserve the praise. Litigants may select an impartial arbitrator to settle a controversy with them through compromise. Such a settlement should be honest and fair. Further, because the compromise has the same effect as a legal judgment, it deserves to be carefully deliberated in a legal manner. In Israel, they have a system where you get an arbitrator that hears your case and uh, by going to an arbitrator, it avoids having to go to court. Bloodshed comes to the world when justice is delayed and when justice is perverted, that's in the, that's in the mission. Some years ago when capital punishment was outlawed or made, stopped, murder soared. And immediately when capital punishment was reestablished, we saw a great reduction in murders. For a court to render a just judgment, it must conform to the procedures that are fair and just. These principles of tort, most scholars agree, are implicit in the universal law. There is the bare rudiments of justice and due process logically requiring every human in society to do the following. One, to appoint judges to serve in every major community and police wherever needed. Two, to avoid appointing any judge who like who lacks knowledge in the law. Number three, treat litigants equal before the courts. Each plaintiff, prosecutor, and defendant must be allowed the fair opportunity to speak and an equal opportunity to present his case. God says to the judges, think not that you are alone. I am sitting with you. That's in the Midrash. To prevent his court offers, officers from accepting bribes or a gift or on the behalf of any litigant appearing before the court. 
The judge who accepts a bride brings terror upon the world. Five. Prevent his courts from showing special favor and respect or honor to any individual litigant. A judge is disqualified from hearing a case uh, involving either one he loves or one he hates. The judge has the right to be removed if, for example, he is related to or has business association or any emotional ties with either person. Remember, the next is prevent court officers from perverting justice out of fear of their own safety or because of threats made by or in behalf of any litigant. Prevent the courts from uh, perverting justice out of compassion for the poor or pity on the weak. A court must treat both the rich and the poor alike with complete impartiality. Sentiment should not determine legal decisions. It is a business of the court as an umpire's referees to render strict and impartial decision according to the universal established laws. A judge, very like an umpire referee, must not let pity turn to partiality. God loves charity, but not at the expense of justice. One who shows mercy to the cruel will end up showing cruelty to the merciful. So the next is prevent the courts from discriminating or preventing justice of, against people of a bad reputation. Even if one party is a sinner and the other a saint, the court must treat both litigants equally. Prevent his courts from punishing one person for a crime committed by another. Each person bears legal responsibility only for his own acts or failures to act. A child must not be punished for the crime of the parents, nor the parents absent from showing personal fault for the crimes of his child. It should prevent the courts from discriminating or preventing justice against the defenseless, weak, the stranger, or the orphan. Out of your mouth, the Bible commands, judge 
righteously and plead the cause for the poor and the needy. A court should be prevented from hearing one litigant in the absence of another. God's justice is due process require that the court grant both litigants an equal opportunity to front confront the arguments against them. A court cannot condemn a defendant who is not present. The next is provide sufficient scope and opportunity for cross-examination of the witness to ensure just judgment and avoid harming the innocent. It must allow full inquiry into the testimony of each witness. I had a, a very good friend who was a blind attorney and uh, they had this black man who they found with Two, two cases of moonshine liquor in the trunk of his car. And uh, all of the sheriffs that were there gave their testimony. And uh, during the break, I, I asked my friend, Harley Wooten, I said, Harley, how do you feel by defending this man that is, you know is guilty. He said, my job is not is to present his case in the best view of the law. And I can tell you now, regardless of what the police said, that man is not guilty. And I will prove he's not guilty. So he got these different uh, officers on the stand and <laughs> he began to cross-examine them and uh, found all kind of flaws in their testimony. Finally, the last member of the Sheriff's Department got on the stand. He said, well, Officer so-and-so said this and Officer so-and-so said that. Another officer said something else. What do you have to say? Who do you agree with? He said, ho, ho, ho. I don't even know where I was out there that night or not. Anyway, they got they got this uh, the man that was charged with the, the liquor. They got her on the stand and Harley began to cross-examine her and she broke down and confessed that she and her boyfriend had put that moonshine liquor in his car so that he would have to go to prison and they could live together. So they said, see, I told you he wasn't guilty. <laughs> and uh, so uh, the court must have the power 
to compel prosecution of evidence and the testimony of the witnesses. Not only that, to help the courts also do justice, we, God requires us as individuals to come forward with the evidence that we have. He who suppresses evidence is like one that stands idly by the blood of his neighbor. <coughs> so, we have the obligation to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. I was in a, had a court case in North Carolina. I'd been pistol whipped by a member of the Ku Klux Klan for being a genie, Jew-loving, nigger-loving SOB. <coughs> In the process, this man had thrown acid in a man's face in an election line. He had done everything, gotten away with it. And everybody said, he, you're not going to get him convicted. I said, the reason he's not being convicted he avoids it before he gets to court. I say if he's brought to court and before 12 jurors that they will find him guilty. And everybody says, no, they won't find him guilty. Well, there was The, uh, the defense attorneys made a big issue because I had called the newspaper the night I got pistol whipped. And they were accusing me of wanting to get my name in the paper. I said, I, my name's in the paper every week. I don't need that. And this other lawyer jumped up. I said that there's been uh, I had said that uh, there had been hanky-panky in this court. And this little lawyer jumped up and demanded that I prove. And the judge said, just a minute, Mr. McFarland. Are you sure he wants, you want him to prove? I demand that he approve it. So I reached in my pocket and pulled out an envelope. I had three men in this court who are willing to come to the stand and testify even though if they have to go to prison that on such and such a date G. Harrison Bridgman that's a man that fished with me Charlie Gosnell the Sheriff Paddlefoot Haynes and the cloak clerk of court came into this courtroom and changed all the voting records man, they went into pandemonium. They were screaming and uh, they charged me with uh, he said, 
Are you at such a wedding that this court has been fixed? I said, that's what we're here to prove. <laughs> and I was charged with contempt of court because that put the jury in a position. If they didn't find him guilty, it was a fix. So the judge called a recess, fined me $100, which my lawyer paid, and he said, a bell once rung can never be unrung. We'll pay the... So he paid the, the uh, $100. And uh, so when... Uh, he, how much time do we have? When... Uh, the court was recessed. The jurors went to the jury room. There was one black man on the court that they were afraid may have been uh, tampered with. And uh, so his name is Willie Proctor. And Willie said, everybody voted guilty except this one man. He said, I'm afraid that if I vote guilty, they'll keep me from getting work. And the foreman of the jury said, you come to my office when this court is over, and I'll give you a job, full-time job. You won't have to worry about that. So he agreed, and he was found guilty. And uh, so all the people said he'll never be he'll he'll never be found guilty. He was found guilty, and uh, so this was uh, an example of pursuing justice. Well, that's all we have time for today. It's been great to be with you. Remind you to be with us on Sunday afternoon for our Torah study. We have a conference October. What, Anita? The Beneno Conference. So...